Welcome to the uh, Recruitment Radio podcast. My name's Dan Dor, and uh, every month I'll be interviewing a different recruitment leader, asking them to share some stories and some wisdom from their distinguished careers. Uh, I'll also be asking them to select four tracks um, that will feature in my monthly playlist available on Spotify through the Powerhive. Uh, the playlists I put together are multi-generational, so I've chosen tracks from the last five decades, uh, multi-genre, as long as I like it, basically uh, soul, funk, disco, hip-hop, house, drum and bass, uh, techno, and, and have been chosen in response to uh, on the common disagreements of what, what music's playing in the workplace. Um, they usually start off pretty chilled and, and build there, reflecting my, my kind of wide taste in music. Um, this month's guest is Russell Clements, uh, former CEO of S3, PLC, uh, having joined the company as um, its, its second ever employee right at the start. Um, he was CEO from 2004 till uh, 2012 and um, crucially took the business public on the main board of the London Stock Exchange in November 2005, a, a big milestone for uh, S3. During Russell's uh, tenure as CEO, the business grew organically from uh, 20 offices, of which five were overseas, to over 60 offices, 44 were outside the UK. Um, he retired from S3 in December um, 2012 and is now um, non-exec chairman of two software as service technology businesses, Cube19 and Hinterview. Um, he also chairs two specialist recruitment firms, uh, Hunter Healthcare and Empiric. Um, also uh, an angel investor, a few other business interests ranging from uh, uh, tech space to fashion as well, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Always sharply dressed, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, a keen cyclist, uh, he divides his time between London, Ibiza and Norfolk coast, uh, spending time with the family. Um, also some charity work with um, last night DJ Saved My Life Charitable Foundation, where he's chairman. Um and, uh, and a decent DJ as well. I've heard Russ play a couple of times. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got a very wide and often eclectic taste in music, which I think is perfect for the, uh, for the playlist. So welcome to Recruitment Radio, Russ. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. You're not really retired, are you? There's a, there's a lot of projects and, and businesses that you support, particularly in the kind of tech space. And I, I kind of wondered, what's your interest in that space? And, and what's your view on how technology will, will change or evolve recruitment? Well, I think when we were um, building S3, we always believed in uh, in a modus operandi, systems and processes. I mean, it's hard to believe now, but in 86, when uh, when the business started, we didn't have computers. Small businesses didn't have computer systems. I think our first computer system we got a couple of years in. The old roller deck system. Well, well that's exactly what it was. Folders, Brilliant. roller decks. I mean, we used to lick, lick stamps. I mean, the first bit of technology really was um, when I worked out you could get those things that they use in the uh, post office where you could, stick a stamp down onto a bit of um, wet sponge rather than lick it yourself. That was the first sort of technological innovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I remember, I remember having to persuade um, Bill, the, uh, the uh, uh, co-founder, um, that we should invest in a fax machine. But he wasn't convinced that they had a future. And of course, now what he says to me is, when's the last time you used a fax? Um, so systems in the broadest sense have always been a big part of the way in which we built, built the company. When I retired at um, S3, we had from memory about 110 people in our own IT department. Uh, so there's a massive investment there in, in, in systems. So there was a natural extension to that when I retired looking at um, other tech companies. Awesome. Do you, uh, um, when you, when you, you were actively looking in that space or was it more opportunity came to you? Well, yeah, I was approached by Q okay. um, and um, originally from a, an investment point of view, 
Um, and then that evolved into me taking the chairman role on. And um, with Hinterview, not dissimilar scenario, actually. Um, and then the other, the other uh, jobs that I do are a bit more kind of, you know, sort of gun for hire kind of paid gigs, if you like. So those two, I'm actually significant investors in the tech, the, the tech space. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's related to recruitment. I still like the recruitment market. It's a, it's a market I understand, but it's a, it's a slightly yeah. different spin on it. And so what's your understanding or view, if, you know, in kind of like six years time or in the future, how, how, how will recruitment use technology to evolve? Well, I think there's some interesting um, stuff around AI when we're talking about things like autom- automation and getting some of the kind of more manual processes. Um, uh, you know, you and I were in a meeting yesterday when we were talking about that in the context of yeah. some quite clever marketing stuff. Um, so it's definitely going to be a big part and, um, and, and will change things, I think, meaningfully. But I don't think beyond all recognition, I think that, you know, recruitment will remain for the foreseeable future. A person to person relationship a, a, yeah, part can't be done by a computer. Yeah, and, and particularly in markets like the specialist markets where there's a shortage of supply over demand. I think in more commoditized markets, um, maybe there's a, 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 a greater role for um, disintermediation. But I think in the kind of markets that S3 specialised in historically, um, I think that the recruitment consultant role is is is, is a long-standing one. Perfect. Well, let's um, let's go to your first track. Um, I asked you to select something that you were first into um, when you were a lot younger. Um, what have you chosen and why? Uh, so I've chosen Happy Radio by Edwin Starr. Um, and um, I've always loved that kind of soul disco, that sort of thing anyway. But this particular song, the first time I ever walked into a school disco at 14, um, it started to play. It was almost like it had actually been... Um, you know, one of those ones where like, all the girls line up on one yeah, side yeah, with the boys exactly. going up and, and you're kind of like shuffling along. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I was a symphony in denim, socks to bottom in, uh, in, in a... In, in a uh, Levi's shirt, Levi's jeans, and I even had to see these sort of Levi's the French exchange look. I yeah, like yeah, it, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it, it almost seemed like the, um, the, the the song had been timed, so you know, uh, it was like walk-on music kind of thing, and it, it always stuck in my mind. And obviously, your first school disco is a big um, moment in your life. Quality. Let's uh, let's give it a listen.
That's Happy Radio by uh, Edwin Starr, released in 1979 on uh, the label 20th Century. Um, a lovely slice of upbeat soul, reached number nine in the uh, UK single chart in the same year. Um, right, Russ, look, looking back to your career at S3, I, th- I think you had four years as deputy CEO and then eight years as CEO, which is about as long a tenure as it gets as CEO. I think they say the average is about three years. Um, especially, you know, for a public company, listed company as well there. So, that, so there must have been quite a lot of elements of the job that you really enjoyed. And I just kind of, yeah, I just wanted to find out what they were and why. Well, I think one of the things that I always say, most people that have been chief executives of public companies like everything about being a public company, apart from the fact it's a public company, you know, so you get the liquidity of a stock price that people can, you know, buy and, and, and you can reward staff through and so on. But they don't like the scrutiny, you know. Um, and actually, I think that's the a The investor piece. And all of that. And the under accountability. Well, exactly right? that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, you have, um, you effectively report on a quarterly basis to all intents and purposes because you have to uh, make a statement in between your, your full year and your half year now. Um, but actually, I really like that. You know, I think it's a bit like if you're a football manager, you know, you don't want to manage a team that plays to an empty stadium, right? Okay, you, get, you could beat 10 nil, no one knows about it. But if you get, if you win 10 nil, then everyone knows about it. And I think that aspect of it, um, I enjoyed personally. I like the fact that effectively you're a salesperson, but the stakes are high. You know, so you can go in and you, you talk to an, uh, a fund manager and, you know, a day or two later, you find out they bought five million quid's worth of stock or whatever, you know, as a salesman, that's a great buzz. Um, I think from a, company point of view as well what's great about being in the public market is that it forces you to make decisions for the short term the medium and the long term because basically that's what the investors want they want their jam today and they want their jam tomorrow and I think with private companies you can either run it very short term you know run it hot for cash um, and then fail to invest in the future or you can be a bit too blue sky thinking and that you know grand future never never comes you know um, and so it, it frames your decision making it disciplines your decision making being a public company did you have any anguish about that kind of decision making obviously at the top you know that feeling the pressure of making oh, those yeah. decisions and getting them right and rerunning them through etc. yeah I mean look it, quite rightly I mean you're paid the big bucks so yeah, you know right. you're, you're, you're responsible for it uh, you know good or bad win or lose right? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean one of the trickiest things is when you know we had quite a collegiate sort of management um, team at S3 and sometimes decisions were made that I went along with you know I could actually have I could have vetoed them them, but in the interest of you know kind of uh, you know the the, the team spirit etc I would I would go along with and you know so sometimes you find yourself talking to an investor justify something that you don't actually believe in yourself I mean what you actually wanted to say is yeah I think it's a bloody stupid idea as well but you you couldn't do that so you know that's one of the kind of paradoxes about it okay what was um what was the biggest mistake you made? If you, you know, if you're allowed to say. Well, I, th- I thought about this a lot. I mean, you know, I, I can't think of an. I mean, look, thousands, too many to, to remember. And and I think that you know the old cliche about the fact that um, your your mistakes are your most valuable yeah. lessons. I mean, I hundred percent believe that. Maybe not mistake then regret or you know. Um, I think with, like, they, they, I think there's two types of mistakes, isn't there, or regrets? If there's there's the stuff where with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. You should have done something, you know. Something the benefit of hindsight. I should have, sooner or yeah, yeah. Benefit of hindsight. I should have bought a load of um, property in Brick Lane about fifteen years ago, you know. But you can't beat yourself up for that because he would have he would have known, you know. Um, and then there's the kind of mistakes that you know you you, you could have actually made a, dis- a distinct uh, a decision differently at the time. Um, but I can't. I honestly can't think of a of an absolute 
you know, Hitler invading Russia kind of howler kind of thing. Um, but, you know, mi millions of, of, of small ones that add up to, to, to valuable lessons. A clean conscience there. <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to your second track. Um, I asked you to pick something that reminds you of your, your early career in recruitment. Um, you're rising through the ranks, you know, probably, you know, very, very fast, dynamic, kind of fast growing uh, business. Um, what, what, what soundtrack uh, typifies that time for you and why? Well, for me, the, um, I, I joined um, the company in November 86 and by about May of 88, Acid House had happened and that whole kind of summer of love, um, you know, had really kicked off and I was, I was young, I had money, I was working in Soho, I used to go touring the, uh, the, the record shops. Trevor Nelson used to sell me records yeah. in, uh, in Red, Red Records back in the day. Um, you know, black market tr yeah. tracks, you know. Um, I had the money to spend on, on, on um, you know, quite expensive imports and all that kind of thing. Um, and it, so that came up relatively quickly after I came into Seven or eight quid back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It was yeah. quite a lot of money. Well, I mean, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I, and, you know, I've still got, I've still got them uh, to this day. But I think the, the reason I picked this particular track is there were loads of amazing music around that time. I mean, I think I'm, I'm privileged because I've heard music at the time. I'm thinking I've never heard music like this. You know, think about Voodoo Ray or, or um, you know... Um, uh, inner city, good life. But some of that stuff has been quite rinsed, you know, it's quite yeah. stere uh, stereotyped now. So this track was very much of that era, but it's, it's, a, it's a track that perhaps uh, is, is a little less well-known. Great stuff. Let's, uh, let's give it a listen. Night Moves by uh, Rickster. That was the Night House mix. Seminal piece of Chicago House from 1988. Um, actually mixed by the legendary Steve Silk Hurley. Oh, was it? It was, yeah, yeah. Of uh, Jack Your Body fame, mm. basically. Yeah. So, uh, like, like you were saying, Russ, so many great tracks from that period. You know, uh, Larry Heard, Frankie Knuckles, 
Robert Owens, Ralphie Rosario, you yeah, know, yeah. all those. So, um, yeah, uh, a great time, basically, of uh, musical history. Um, so I think, like, the ability to manage change in an organisation is a pretty fundamental leadership skill. Um, and I think when, it, when an organisation certainly grows as fast as S3 did uh, to several thousand employees internationally all over the world, uh, then it must become pretty challenging to actually, you know, implement any kind of strategic initiative or, or change piece. So um, I, I would say hopefully you, you, you've been quite successful at it, uh, probably got some things right, some things wrong, but regardless of the size of the company, what advice would you give to recruitment leaders out there who are, who are, who are facing a lot of change in their markets? Well, I think the first thing to bear in mind about change um, is, you know, um, you know, someone very famously said that if the change outside an organisation is at a faster pace than the change inside an organisation, you're in trouble, right? Um, now, I think that's true, but I also think you've got to be very careful that you don't react and change to something, you know, where... So jumping on the yeah, bandwagon. Yeah, that's the right. Thing, no, that's right. right. So, yeah. I, you know, my, my, one of my sort of mantras is, you know, it's important to understand what you're not as well as what you are. And just because someone else is successful in doing that doesn't necessarily mean to say you, 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 you can be. And so, you know, the first thing to do is, yes, change is a necessity and it's a dynamic and a positive thing, but some organisations are a bit addicted to it. Uh, so I think that's a, a point to make. But I think with all, with all change, all change is about culture, ultimately. Um, you know, you can't change. I mean, again, it's, a, it's a, um, an old um, uh, uh, cliche, but, you know, they say that uh, culture eats um, strategy for breakfast, yeah. right? And I think that's absolutely 100% true. So if you're trying to um, change an organisation, you've got to change minds. That's essentially it. So what, whatever the change is that you're trying to bring about... Um, it will either stand or fall on your ability to get people heart, hearts and minds bought into something and that's particularly true of the most senior people in the organisation if they don't really believe that this is a good change and they're not a champion of it then it won't happen in fact actually they'll become disrupt, uh, disruptive and, uh, and, it, and it's more likely to go in the, in the opposite direction um, and in terms of kind of like an example maybe of a of a change project yeah. that you led and, uh, under your tenure? Yeah, I think the first example would probably be that, you know, as you know, um, Dan, that S3 is made up of a number of different brands. And, and for many years, we encouraged people to really identify very strongly with those brands, you know. So in other words, it was almost like a club and country, you know, it was very definitely... you quite got, tribal, actually. It was very tribal. Yeah. It was very, very tribal. And actually, that dynamic and that competitiveness was a really powerful thing. Ultimately, I think it outlived its usefulness and it create some dysfunctional stuff as well um, and you know we had crazy situations where someone would move out of the group rather than move within a group because we'd sort of almost made it Arsenal versus Spurs you know. to kind of move yeah exactly group. which was crazy right um, uh, or you know like the equivalent of um, England players not passing to each other because you know one plays for Chelsea and one plays for Spurs you know um, so what we what we made a very conscious decision to do was change that mindset and actually to get people to think I am an employee of S3. That's my career platform. That's my career opportunity. I may start off with one of the brands and then move on to the other brands. I might even go back to the brand I originally you know, started with. Um, and that really was completely turning the thing you know, on its head. And years and years and years of ingrained cultural kind of uh, um, uh, you know, buy-in to this kind yeah. of tribal kind of mentality. And what we wanted to do was switch to another tribe, which was the S3 tribe. Um, and I think, you know, it took a long time and it took a lot of very conscious um, 
uh, change, but I think eventually we did a very good job of that. What were the key elements of that then to, to, to achieve that? Well, you had to, for a start, you have to change the, 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 the management. So not change the, the personnel, but change the management's mind. So, you know, someone like a Justin Hughes, who was a passionate kind of proud progressive person who, you know, became managing director of progressive. And then for him, five minutes later, I'm telling him, forget progressive, right? I want you now to look after several brands and be responsible for a geographical region. Um, so partly that's about mindset change and partly it's about organisational change. Um, but it even came down to things like, you know, at the Christmas party, rather than getting people to shout out, you know, who's from Computer Futures here, who's from Progressive here, it would be, you know, if you're from France, give us a shout, you know, or who, who's here from Germany. Changing languages. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I think that was a very, a very big project, but I think in the end, um, it, 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 it was successful. Quality. Um, let's go, uh, let's go to the third track. Um, this was uh, something that holds personal significance to you um may, maybe kind of uh, tee it up tell us what the track is and, and what it tells a listener about yourself um yeah well this is um uh, oasis um and um this is i picked this particular track because when my daughter was on the way to being born in the hospital um we made a conscious decision of making a video and it was a video of you know the the the, the buildings the cars the Advertising, you know, of, the, of that period. I thought it would be an amazing thing if it had actually been done. You think about your own journey to hospital to be born or whatever. So we did that, um, and um, the my, my the album at the time that I was was listening to um, was the Oasis album. That seemed to be everywhere. It was just such a kind. I mean, they were they were huge at the time. Um, and this one particular track, I can remember being one of the ones that we uh, played as uh, as we were driving from. Um, uh, the house to the to the hospital to uh, my daughter. What a lovely story. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall. Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me Caught beneath the landslide In a champagne supernova in the sky Someday you will find me Caught beneath the landslide In a champagne supernova Champagne supernova in the sky. A champagne supernova by Oasis, released 1996 from the album What's the Story Morning Glory. Um, guest guitar and, and backing vocals by Paul Weller. Is that right? That's right yeah. as well, yeah. That's what I saw that. Um, I uh, on a lighter note now, so the recruitment industry's matured and developed, professionalised, if you like, since uh, uh, we started working in it. Um, some pretty uh, old-school management techniques from back in the day, I think, could be seen, well, at, probably at best as very unpolitically incorrect these days and probably more like a sackable offence, right? Um, you must have seen your fair share of them, so I don't want you to get anyone in trouble. Don't mention any names, but I'm going to ask you just to tell us a little, maybe a funny story, an antidote from... Uh, 
from your, from your time. Well, I, I had to think about this a lot because probably ninety five percent of them are unrepeatable, right? Yeah, but I thought you were um, going to say that. But um, uh, choose carefully. Uh, yeah, yeah. Computer Futures at one point, we, we, there was a really strong practical joke culture. Um, and um, I mean, some of them were just crazily elaborate and went on forever. But there was a guy um, at the time who wasn't a particularly good looking bloke, but thought he was chocolate, right? And um, he made the mistake of letting people know he was going off to have his hair cut, Tony and Guy. So one of the girls phoned up pretending to be from Tony and Guy and said that there was a model shoot going on in at Tony and Guy that, 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 um, that day. And um, one of the models hasn't turned up, but of course we said, well, we're in luck because, you know, bleep name will be turning up and he's, a, he's model standards, we'll just use him. Just feeding it. But then, of course, what he said, they, she said to, to, to him was, um, the only thing is, you, you have got a blue suit on, haven't you? Because everyone's got to wear a blue suit, knowing that he's got a grey suit on. So he then begged for time off went and bought himself a blue boss suit for about 400 quid, and this was a long time ago, paying fortune to get the alterations done, begged for extra time off from his boss, who was in on the joke, um, and then, of course, turned up in his blue suit <laughs> and said, I'm here, um, when's the model shoot start? And, of course, you know, the girlfriend on the reception said, what, 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 are, you what are you talking about, mate? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but that was one of the, uh, that was one of the more politically um, correct... Uh, jokes, yeah. that, that, uh, practical jokes. So that, that, that's a, re- a repeatable one. Yeah. F- from what you know now, and kind of looking back, um, what advice would you give a, a younger version of yourself? What well, apart from going buy some property in Brook Lane? Really? <laughs> <laughs> You've really, you really bit, bitter about that one, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think the, I think the prob- probably the, the, the most important advice I'd give myself, you know, is. Is, is not to take it quite so seriously. You know, I mean, I used to be able... Because you, if you care about something, you've got to care about something in order to, to do it well. You get passionate about passionate it. Passionate about yeah. it, you know, but also you, you, you can't get bent out of shape about it. And, um, you know, as you find out when you get older, you know, there's more to life than, than, than work and money, etc. So, um, you know, don't... I wouldn't say, you know, have the attitude that case are are what will be will be because if you have that mentality nothing will ever happen but be a bit more philosophical that, that about about your, your setbacks than, than you're a Spurs fan but exactly yeah, yeah that, that Spurs and England fan if you believe in reincarnation I've done something pretty terrible in a former life but um, yeah I just think you know chill out a bit chill out a bit yeah yeah, yeah. nice um, so final track um, I, I asked you to select something that's maybe uh, suitable for to lift a sales floor on a Monday morning, you know, everyone's basically got in from work. So it's, it's, it's a rainy day, you know, got that kind of just shuffly paper, kind of not getting on with it. And you need to play something to, 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 to get it going. What, what have you chosen and why? Um, well, I've, bought, I've chosen Love On My Mind by Freemasons um, because it's just a hands in the air belter of a track. Um, and um, actually it reminds me, it came, it came out in my 40th year so by that stage, I was going back to Ibiza, having gone uh, to Ibiza for the first time in the, in the 80s. Um, and actually, my kids love this track as well. So um, we, were, we, we, were, uh, we were a bit Bora Bora, and, I, and they'd be on the, on the tables as, as kids with their, with their hands in the air as well. And I picked the Philadelphia uh, mix, the Philly mix, because, you know, Philly, Sound of Philly is a big um, genre of music for me as well. I think this is a really, you know, the, the extra strings just gives it an, an extra element. Quality. Let's blast it. Mm-hmm.
Love on My Mind by the Freemasons, featuring Amanda Wilson. Um, as you said, Russ, that's the Back to the Philly mix. Um, released, I think, around 2005. You definitely chose the right mix. Uh, you know, that, those extra strings and horns mm. categorise that Philadelphia sound. Yeah, and that, uh, going back to that Philly soul sound, I know that I was really into that. You remember like a, uh, MFSB, yeah, and, um, Hall and & Oates and the OJs, and, you know. So, um, um, some love. Yeah, I had, I had an aunt that was only 10 years older than me and she was massively into that whole, that whole sort of musical genre. So as I, I was a kid, I mean, I probably been about 10 and she would have been... So we had jazz, metal, soul and then disco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really, yeah, yeah. really came to with, the with, with, a, with a lot of flares and platforms involved. Yeah. Um, basically, all we've got time for, I'm going to ask you one more question and put you on the spot. So if you were to be uh, locked in a room for a year with just one album, <laughs> you, you obviously get pretty bored of it, <laughs> but um, what would it be? Um, I would say Quadrophenia by The Who um, not the soundtrack album although the soundtrack album is good because that's got some additional stuff in but the full concept album um, and actually I'm going to see The Who on Saturday um, amazing uh, tomorrow yeah um, so yeah I just think it's a jeez um, Pete, Pete Townsend is an old bloke um, you know in a lot of respects I think he's a bit of an old cove but he was an amazingly talented um, songwriter, complex but simple. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, well, it's all it's, it's orchestral. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 operatic. In you know, yeah. um, Roger Daltrey's still got a fantastic voice, and he's in his seventies now. Um, and um, yeah, I think that that would be that'd well. Be it. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, My pleasure. Really enjoyed it, Russ. Thanks, and uh, see you around. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Thanks a lot.